As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast. Here on The Athletic, I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer. And for the second straight uh, series to open the season, the Red Wings have uh, come back from a Game 1 loss and, and salvaged a split. So, Prashant, I ask you, uh, what are we looking at with these Red Wings? Is this uh, early season excitement, uh, just kind of getting off to a, a fun little start, kind of like they did last year, to be honest? Or, or is there something to this? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly exciting when you're watching this team after everything that Red Wings fans watched last year uh, and seeing, you know, four reasonably close hockey games on the scoreboard. Like, that just was not uh, a common sight last year. And so having a handful of games played tightly in the series against Columbus was really no different. I mean, you lose 3-2 and then you win 3-2 in overtime. And so, you know... That's a that's certainly refreshing. I will say my expectations slash excitement is still somewhat tempered. I think if you you step back and you kind of look at the stats through the first four games, you know it's still not overly impressive. You're still talking about a team that's uh, you know roughly around forty two percent in five and five expected goals for percentage, which is honestly right where they were last year, um, and and has thus far really struggled to generate offense. Um, Right now, they're sitting at you know 1.65 uh, expected goals for per 60 minutes at five on five. They were at two last year, um, and so you're actually generating even less offense than than you were the season before. Uh, I think really the key and what's worked for this team thus far is they've done a really good job in limiting chances against. And I think we always knew that that was going to be um, kind of the the I guess MO for a team like this was to limit opportunities and capitalize on the ones that they get. But even still uh, generating a meager amount of offense and still losing uh, the expected goals for battle pretty handily is somewhat concerning um, when you're thinking about if this is going to portend kind of long-term success. 
Yeah, I actually thought they played better in the game that they lost to Columbus. I thought that was their best performance of the season and in a couple of quick goals to start the third period. Um, costs them that, that win as well as uh, a couple of chances missed, including uh, the one Mark Stahl had on, on a wide open net that goes off the the left post. But there's going to be a lot of those in a hockey season. And, and so uh, the fact that they came back and, and won the next night, I thought was another good kind of show of resilience. But ultimately, I think you're right. Uh, about two things. Number one, that um, the story still should come back to there, there's not a lot being generated, but there is a lot more being limited. And and, and defensively, um, I think that's really key. I think it was a huge thing for them coming into the season and a huge need. It's also a thing that I wonder if it maybe is a little harder to keep up the longer the season goes. The way that they're having to do this um, is with just constant effort. And certainly that's what they want. I wonder if constant effort doesn't get a little harder to, to pull off night in, night out, the more this season drags on, especially if some losses do come. Um, you know, it, it's something that takes 100% buy-in to pull off. And, and when they do, they will have series like this, where I thought that they, they won the series against Columbus um, in terms of, of what, you, what you looked at. Um, and, and certainly they split it in, in terms of the games. But, uh, you know, the, the more this wears on... It, it, if they can keep it up, that's one thing, but it, it's going to be very taxing and, and very demanding as they try to. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me is going to say, well, you know, they just switched out all these pucks. How much did the, uh, the I guess, pucks that had the tracking chips in there um, that didn't necessarily meet NHL standard, did that contribute to Detroit being able to suffocate these teams in the neutral zone uh, to a certain extent? But I mean, you're absolutely right. You have to be pleased with the effort you saw, you know, head to head against Columbus. They definitely won that series uh, at, at even strength um, for sure. And then they were finally able to to capitalize on the power play with Anthony Mantha scoring that goal in the uh, in the second game there. But I mean, defensively, you look at the, the second game, their three two overtime win, even though I, I agree with you, I think they were more impressive overall in the first game that they lost. In that second game, Evolving Hockey clocked them at allowing just 0.99 expected goals against at 5-on-5. Five five. That's in 54 minutes of 5-on-5 uh, you know, five five play, they gave up 0.99 expected goals against. They only did that three times last year where they allowed less than one expected goal uh, against. So I think it's, it's whether or not they're going to be able to sustain that kind of effort. They had those efforts last year. They were few and far between. Is this a one-off effort against a good Columbus team, or are they going to be able to uh, sustain this moving forward, especially with the, the nature of this season? Um, it's really easy to snowball quickly. You're going to see the same team, um, you know, usually on a back-to-back or maybe with one day of rest. You're going to have a lot of games clustered together. It's going to be really easy to get down quickly. And so I think that'll be huge for this team because – you know, last year we talked, we've talked about this at length, all the different narratives that surrounded the Red Wings. You know, they couldn't win games when they scored first. They couldn't hold leads heading into the third period. You know, thus far they've done, they've corrected both of those things to a certain extent. I mean, they were able to, to hold a lead against Carolina when they had to and actually extend the lead when they got, uh, you know, in the second game of that, that series. And then against Columbus, you know, they were able to kind of, you know, make sure that they, even after Columbus came back and tied that game, uh, they were still able to come out and win it very quickly in overtime in the second one there. So uh, we'll see if it's enough to turn the corner, uh, but it's certainly encouraging as of now. Let's rewind a minute. I, I want to dig in a little bit on Monday's game here because 
Uh, even before play started, maybe the biggest news of the week uh, for the Red Wings came down, and that is Robbie Fabry and Adam Ernie being ruled out for the, for both of these past two games um, in the COVID protocol. So Michael Rasmussen and Franz Nielsen come into the lineup. I'll, I'll remind everybody, COVID protocol is a vague term, and that's by design. Um, so we don't know what, what exactly Robbie Fabry and Adam Ernie's situations are here, whether it was symptoms, whether it was a positive test, whether it was contact tracing, or whether it was a confirmed case. We don't know any of that. We know it's not travel, but that's the only thing we know. And so th- those other four options are all on the table, and it makes it hard to kind of say you know, how long they could be out or, or really any of the implications there. But they have missed the two games, um, and, and we'll see if either of them are back practicing Thursday. Um, I would imagine, though, Seven days feels like kind of the minimum that if you're in the protocol, I, that I, I've tried to look through the protocol and I couldn't find any uh, numerical timelines here. Do you know this off the top of your head? I don't know it off the top of my head. I know it's buried in their kind of MOU for, for coming back. Um, and obviously, I think the, the challenging part here is that, uh, you know, for the Red Wings, I would suspect that it's, you know, somewhat tied to the situation with the Carolina Hurricanes right now. You know, obviously Jordan Stahl was held out before that second game against Carolina. And then now the Carolina um, has subsequently had five players um, placed on the COVID list. They've had their games canceled through the weekend. And so, you know, I think that's there. I, I think it sort of depends on uh, my understanding of the protocols. It somewhat depends on whether or not the player uh, who tests positive if they are symptomatic or asymptomatic and how that kind of dictates their ability to return, there's kind of a separate pathway for the asymptomatic players to come back. Um, and then there's a separate pathway for the symptomatic players to come back. Obviously the symptomatic ones, um, typically you're going to be looking at, at at least two weeks. Um, um, if, if not longer, depending on how well they, they recover and what their conditioning stint is like, um, the asymptomatic ones, I believe, you know, the, the player gets isolated. They start doing the contact tracing. They do a confirmatory test, I think, 24 hours later. If that's negative, then they do another test 24 hours after that. And then if that's negative, they have to do a third confirmatory test 24 hours after that. So, you know, potentially for those guys, uh, I think you're looking at um, them being around the time of that third confirmatory test, if not beyond that, if they have had, if they've been able to test negative. But if not, um, you know, it, it, it's tough to say when they'll be able to be released from isolation, at least per the protocol. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So in the meantime, the Red Wings obviously looking at at uh, some, some lineup changes. And in, in game one, that meant Michael Rasmussen plugging right in in between Fabry's line mates, uh, Philip Zadina and, and Bobby Ryan. 
Um, and all things considered, I thought, like I said, game one went pretty well for the Red Wings. Um, Rasmussen had a like 60% expected goals percentage or something like that as, as measured by uh, evolving hockey. Um, the Red Wings top line for the first time this year, I thought looked really good. Uh, and, and obviously Bobby Ryan, again, I think he had a two goal game in, in that first one. Um, one, uh, off a face off by Rasmussen and one late in the game, getting his stick in there as, uh, as Jonas Corposalo tried to stop an Anthony Mantha point shot. So, uh, a great start to this season for Bobby Ryan. Um, where where, did, where were your takeaways off of the first game of this series other than the loss? Yeah, I mean, the, the first game of the series, I thought you had to be really encouraged with the way Detroit played. I mean, you and I, when we were previewing this, talked about how Columbus had been a really difficult matchup. Detroit dropped all three games against Columbus, you know, last season. Uh, even Detroit's top line last season got absolutely rocked by uh, the Jackets. So... You know, it was a very difficult scenario to envision Detroit being able to come in and really dictate play, but they absolutely did. I mean, their five-on-five expected goals four percentage was 64% uh, in that game. They were able to, uh, I thought, a lot of their lines did a really nice job. Their top line was, you know, around 71% expected goals four percentage. The second line was around, you know, 60 to 64%. Um I thought their deep pairings looked good. I thought Stetcher and Stahl looked particularly good. Um, You know, Mark Stahl obviously had himself quite the game between, number one, you know, missing the open net uh, there. But number two, I thought he looked pretty good aside from kind of the the miscommunication with Mantha that ultimately led to that go-ahead goal for for Columbus. Uh, And then he subsequently went for the line change there. But I thought it was probably the most complete game that Detroit's played this season. Uh, and unfortunately it's the one where you look at it and they walk away with a three, two loss and no points at all. But, uh, I thought it was by far Detroit's most complete game. Walking out of the rink, uh, after that game reminded me a lot of, of our preseason conversations about what does a successful Red Wings season look like? And it was show the fight and, and, and don't let everything spiral. They did give up two goals in pretty quick succession in the third, but they battle, battle back and, and this was a one goal game with less than a minute to play. So, and, and it ended a one goal game. Um, so I, I, I was impressed by their effort. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where, uh, you, you have to just remember what, where this team has been as you're assessing them. And I'm, I'm sure for, if this was the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's obviously not good enough. If it's the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, it's obviously not good enough. Um, for the Red Wings, I'm sure they still would have liked a different result, but they're a team that I think can get a little bit more um, benefit of the doubt, uh, not benefit of the doubt, but uh, maybe wiggle room on, on kind of the standard just because of where they're coming from. And, and that that still, I do think, qualified as... Um, pretty noticeable, you know, progress from, from how that game, I think would have gone a year ago. Now, the flip side of this, I don't know that Columbus was all that good through this series. Like, I don't know that this was Columbus's best punch. And so I am a little hesitant to give the Red Wings too much credit. Um, you know, now how much of that fact was the Red Wings helping to shut them down? I don't know, but you know, I don't think Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones, Pierre-Luc Dubois, any of them were outstanding through this series. I, I think Seth Jones um, certainly shut down a lot of stuff for Detroit, and he, you know, he is a a really good case in point of of what it looks like when you have uh, just a, a huge mobile guy back there who puck goes into the end and he clears it out before anything has a chance to develop. Um, he's a, he's a case in point of that all day and, and he had a penalty shot. He was generating a little bit of offense for him, but you know, most of Columbus's game breakers, I didn't think, and there's not that many of them, 
um, didn't have kind of their best games against the Red Wings either. Yeah, I mean, Columbus has not been that impressive through their first four games, no. just to say that. I mean, I think people had maybe placed some expectations on them uh, based on you know how they played Tampa each of the last two years, including beating Tampa the year prior. Uh, you know, they have not looked particularly good, and, and rightfully so. The Red Wings were able to kind of take it to them in that first game and then able to at least play them even in the second game and walk away with the victory. So, you know, again, it's just all of that kind of factors into your, your assessment. And I think, you know, going back to the first game, uh, I think if you ask any of those players, they're going to say there are no moral victories and a loss. But yep. I think you have to walk away with the fact that, yes, there is a moral victory and that's your process looked really, really good. You just honestly, that came down to one play. It was that bad line change um, off of a kind of miscommunication between Stahl and Mantha as to who was covering up top. And then Stahl subsequently, you know, goes for the, uh, uh, the line change. And that leads to the, to the changing play there. So, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to things like that. And so I think you have to be encouraged that it was just one mistake that led to that game getting away from you. And if you fix that one mistake, you know, you, you win that game. I think there's a very good chance that of that. Yeah, I, I do. And obviously uh, it, it ends with the fireworks and with Larkin fighting Wierenski, Bobby Ryan, uh, honestly kind of avoiding a fight while also being in the fight. And I don't know, he, he almost he almost turtled his opponent uh, to, to prevent it from becoming a fight. Uh, but he was in there and he was battling and, and Tyler Bertuzzi was ready to go with anyone who wanted to. So um, I was wondering what kind of game we would see on Tuesday. And I, I think it was certainly a tight game. It was an intense game. It was not by any means like an overly dirty or chippy game, though. There were not a lot of penalties either way. Um, it, it was really a game that was played at even strength. And for the Red Wings, it was kind of a new look because Jeff Blaschel completely turned the lineup upside down. I did not know what to think of that when I walked into the arena and saw the line rushes uh, as they were, because like we talked about, the Red Wings had had just their best performance the night before, even in a loss. And, uh, and maybe the offense hadn't been enough. I don't know, but, but Jeff Blaschel really remade the lines. The, the top line was now Larkin, Nemesnikov, Zadina. Second line was uh, Rasmussen with Bobby Ryan and Mantha. Third line was Tyler Bertuzzi all the way down on the third line with Luke Lindenning and Matthias Brome. And then the fourth line uh, was kind of the the veteran line. That was uh, Nielsen, Gagne, and Philpola. And I really thought uh, by the end of the night that that kind of worked. I mean, it, it, the irony of it was it got Larkin, Mantha, and Bertuzzi all going. All of them were on the score sheet. Uh, Larkin had two points, Bertuzzi had two points, and Mantha scored his first goal of the year. For as much hemming and hawing as there's been about uh, Mantha, he's sitting at three points in four games. Larkin's at a point per game. Bertuzzi's at three points in four games. Um, it kind of seemed to work. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely get it. I mean, you you come off your best performance of the season where, I mean, especially with the top line waking up after they had struggled so much against Carolina, you're like, wait, hold up. What are you doing? Like, why are you breaking up this this one line that just played Columbus so well? Um, and, and, you know, I think for what it's worth, there's a lot of hemming and hawing about line combinations. I don't know how much they really matter in, in the grand scheme of things here when, when those units oftentimes are not spending a lot of ice time really together. It's a lot of one-off line changes here. Um, you know, guys coming on, being able to play with other guys. I mean, a huge percentage of the time you spend on the ice really isn't with those set guys. So, uh, you know, how much it matters, who knows, but it was a very unique look. And, and I actually came out and I tweeted that I liked it because you, I think if you're Detroit, 
you have two very gifted offensive players in Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. Mantha in particular is a guy who has consistently demonstrated the ability to drive play at an elite level. You also have some a couple of other guys who have the ability to chip in offensively in Philip Zadina and Bobby Ryan. And so the question becomes, do you have enough talent behind you, behind that top line of Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha to be able to draw even such that you win the Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha line combination? That's what you need, right? That's what, you know, the, the Wings used to do with, with Zetterberg and Datsuk. It was, if I had enough depth behind Zetterberg and Datsuk, we were going to play Datsuk and Zetterberg together on the top line. And when I didn't have enough depth, they were going to get split up to be able to drive two lines. And that way you have more guys on the ice able to do that. And so I think that's what you saw uh, from the Red Wings is that each of their top three lines um, that they were able to put together, you know, with Nemesnikov, Larkin, and Zadina, then Mantha, Rasmus, and Ryan, Bertuzzi, Glendening, Brome, each of those three lines was right around 50% from an expected goals for percentage. And that means you're drawing even, you know, at least 75% of the five on five time if you're rolling lines evenly, but likely closer to about 85% of the time. And so I think that's what Detroit needed. And that's why that game was so tight and close uh, was you were able to, you weren't really getting caved in um, for any one line aside from Detroit's fourth line. And so uh, I actually thought it was a, a nice change of pace for the Red Wings. You can kind of see a clear identity for each of those top three lines in particular. I mean, that that Larkin, Nemestikov, Zadina line. Um, I don't I don't know how much offense it ended up resulting in for the Red Wings, but those are all three guys who can force a lot of ozone turnovers, active sticks. Um, they're they're going to play kind of two ways and and probably get you the possession back. I thought that showed up. I, I don't know that they really generated a ton of offense together at five on five, but you know, I think it was the first time I've ever seen that three those three play together and. Uh, so I almost wonder, you know, is that the kind of thing that looks better if they keep it together going into the Chicago series? Second line was maybe the biggest line in the NHL uh, with Bobby Ryan, Michael Rasmussen, and Anthony Mantha. I also liked about it with with Ryan and uh, Rasmussen as his line mates. I, I don't know about you. I thought Mantha was really moving last night, um, especially for a guy who had been criticized a little bit for that in the in these first two games. Um, I wonder if it's almost he had no other choice because he is by far the fastest guy on that line. And I thought he was really motoring. So I thought that worked. Uh, you know, th- that line obviously scores off a of face off, although I think Nielsen was on the ice for it. So I don't really know. Maybe that was <laughs> what was the situation for that? How did Nielsen end up on the ice for that? Yeah, I don't actually remember how Nielsen ended up on the ice unless <laughs> Blaschel just wanted a second center on the ice to be able to take the face off in the event you had someone kicked out. But uh, right. Very weird scenario there. Well, nevertheless, I thought it worked. And then that third line is a real, you know, skill and grit line. I mean, Bertuzzi and Bro may both have that. Bertuzzi, obviously, much better at it. Um, and Glenn Denning, a real strong faceoff guy, a real strong forechecker, and a real strong defensive presence. So uh, I, I thought that worked. And, and I think, you know, the irony being that the fourth line suddenly, I think, uh, it, it didn't work. And, and it was always going to draw the ire of a lot of people because now you've taken... You know, the the only player that I think fans were really fired up about on that fourth line was Brome. So you took him off and maybe Gagne, I guess, could, could kind of have that on that line. But um, nevertheless, uh, I thought it worked. And, and I didn't think they were, honestly, I didn't think they looked quite as good as they had the night before um, overall. But they were more spread out. They were more balanced. I don't think there's any question about that. And um, I think especially as some of those 
trios maybe get used to playing with one another into the Chicago series, that could be pretty interesting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mentioned Rasmussen. He, he ended up at 60% expected goals percentage in both games. That's a pretty strong showing for him. I, I don't know that it always popped a ton off the screen, but there were certainly shifts here and there where you really saw what he brings, clogging up space, using his reach. Um, he had a late play kind of wrapping around to to create kind of a jam chant that I'm, I'm sure didn't look like a ton, uh, and, and it didn't look like a ton to me live either. But it's just one of those things that doesn't even happen if, if it's not him down there doing that. And so... Um, I think those things can can really add up. And, and yeah, the, the couple big faceoffs that he won to lead to the Bobby Ryan goals, I think that's interesting. So if, if you've got him kind of going and he's able to carve out a place, I think that's a big deal. And now here you are with, with uh, some line combinations that are coming off a win, maybe get a little confidence, kind of have clear identities, and they're going to go into Chicago and face a team that's 0-4 and has given up five goals in every single game they've played. Uh, all of a sudden, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the Red Wings certainly, I think, should should be going into this expecting to be able to at least split that series. Yeah, I, th- I think you raised kind of two interesting points, and I think this is the important point for a lot of Red Wings fans when you're evaluating this team. And what it's, it's to ask yourself, what's the identity of this Red Wings hockey team? And, and the identity is not the offensive run and gun. Let's optimize your best offensive lines. I think almost, again, going back to what we've been saying uh, here is, Jeff Blaschel's mentality is, I got to win hockey games. How do I win hockey games? It's by suppressing chances. I'm not going to get into a run and gun style. So while we can look and say, yeah, that was a pretty ugly offensive performance from the Red Wings, that was their best defensive performance. They allowed the fewest expected goals against at .99, like I mentioned earlier, and were able to basically keep Columbus from having anything really dangerous. Like there were not a lot of, hugely dangerous Columbus chances that happened in that game. And so, again, if you are the Red Wings and you are Jeff Flash and you're saying, how do, I, how do I get this? How do I get this game to be basically a neutral draw and hope my team capitalizes on the chances? Well, it's by spreading out that talent such that you have a guy that can drive the line on each of those lines, on each of your top three lines and get it to that point. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, that's a very ugly hockey game, but that's how the Red Wings are going to win hockey games. And so I think that's extremely you know, important to pay attention to when you're asking yourself, why is Blashell doing this to a certain extent? I think it has to be, you know, how do I minimize those chances against, avoid this running gun scenario, and, and keep it to a, a game where if I capitalize on my chances, I win. You know, we basically said, how, what's the recipe for Red Wings success? We said this a couple episodes. It's keep the game relatively neutral, score on your power play. Well, that's exactly what happened, right? Mantha scores his power play goal. You keep the game relatively even. You stay out of the box and you win the hockey game. So I, I think it makes sense if you're putting yourself in the shoes of Jeff Blaschel there. Um, and then the second piece, you know, obviously is the Michael Rasmussen piece. I think Blaschel very smartly carved out a nice usage for him, avoiding those kind of very difficult minutes. He's only had two defensive zone starts, uh, you know, on the season, again, avoiding scenarios where uh, he's going to have to handle that. Um, you know, so who I, is this? This is Rasmussen. Really? Okay. Two defensive zone starts on the season. Um, most of, mostly getting deployed on the flyer in the offensive zone. So uh, they have him. you know, nat- this is based on natural stat trick. They have him with four offensive zone starts, one in the neutral zone, two defensively and 19 on the fly. So 
again. And he's also not wow. playing heavy minutes. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing scenarios where he's getting subbed out, uh, you know, for other guys, or especially in the third period where Larkin was double shifting for him. Or, yes. Uh, you know, Philpo was double shifting. So I think they're being very careful in the minutes they're giving him. And thus far, he's succeeding in them, which means you can probably up the ante to a certain extent. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't, I had not realized that there was only two zone starts. That's why when you said it, I was like, really? I, 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 that, that surprised me. So um, that's interesting. Well, and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply well let, let's talk a little bit uh, really quick about uh his line mate bobby ryan and and what ryan has brought here because i thought it was a good signing but here we are a week into the nhl season and it's bobby ryan is tied for the nhl lead in goals good um i don't think that's gonna last because certainly austin matthews patrick line all these guys are gonna are gonna come on like a tsunami here at some point um but what are you seeing out of Bobby Ryan? What is the significance of it? Uh, and and ultimately, what's what? Sh- how should people be viewing Bobby Ryan? Is this a guy that is is around for this season and, and not beyond? Is this a guy who's not going to make it through the season because he ends up getting traded? Or is this a guy that the Red Wings should be thinking about maybe extending for a year because this has gone well? And and frankly, to me, uh, he has seemed like a pretty good locker room presence. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Uh you know, what Bobby Ryan's brought to this team. I think you and I both thought he was going to be the most impactful uh, free agent signing that Steve Eiserman made. Um, I sort of jokingly uh, tweeted it out the other night, um, but then as I was thinking about it a little bit more, so I said, if this Bobby Ryan, Philip Zadina, Michael Rasmussen line sticks together, he should bring back the two kids in the old GOAT line, which was referring to Pavel Datsuk, uh, Boyd Devereaux, and Brett Hall, and then subsequently Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, and Brett Hall, uh, with Bobby Ryan being that old goat on the line, and you having the two kids and Philip Zadina and Michael Rasmussen. But then, like, the more you sit and think about it, and you just watch what Bobby Ryan's bringing, it feels very much um, like that similar Brett Hall impact that he brought uh, to that 2002 and 2003 team, where effectively he would just describe, I just needed to skate, be in the right spot, put my stick on the ice and shoot the puck. And that's almost what you're seeing with Bobby Ryan. He's not playing a lot of minutes, 1342. But when you watch him, he's generally in the right area. He's generally making the right plays with the puck. He's not the guy skating it up the ice, bringing it into the offensive zone. But once he's in the offensive zone, he's right where he needs to be, stick on the ice. I mean, you look at his first goal of the season with uh, the Philip Zadina play. I mean, that puck's not in his wheelhouse, sticks on the ice, still gets a good snapshot off, beats Peter Morazic. You know, his goals yeah. against Columbus, getting his stick in the right spot, recognizing the puck is is loose on Corpusalo's blocker, being able to get that one in. Uh, so it's just consistently in the right spot, not the fastest guy, but very, very smart. Um, and I think that's really rubbing off. Uh, Fox Sports Detroit was uh, showing some clips, actually, of some of the coaching that he's been doing with Phillips Adina. And I think... The guy who's going to benefit the most from Bobby Ryan's presence is Philip Zadina. Finding the right spots to be, how to get your shot off, you know, where where to be without the puck. 
I think that's going to be key for Zadina's development. And so if I'm Steve Eiserman, you have to be loving, obviously, what he's putting on the score sheet, but bringing that kind of mentorship to those guys and actually keeping you know, Zadina around Ryan, I think is a phenomenal idea. Um, and same with Rasmussen and such that, you know, you, you certainly play the trade waters, right? If you've got people willing to throw a first round pick, then yes, you have to make the move. Um, I doubt you're going to get a first round pick uh, or anywhere near that, even if you're at the trade deadline and he's sitting at 22 goals or 23 goals. I still think probably you're topping out at a second round pick for a 34 year old. Um, but I think you do have a difficult decision here. You have to ask yourself, uh, would I benefit from having him around another year? I think you almost leave it up to Bobby Ryan, like you and I talked about, uh, you know, before the season even started. You kind of ask him what is what is his interest here, um, you know, in sticking around another year and doing that mentorship versus, you know, shipping him out and, and, and exploring assets. But I think either are feasible, but you certainly want to explore uh, keeping him around with how much of an impact he's, he seems to be having. Yeah, I, I think I, I mean I, I agree. I, I think that this is one of those cases where I know it has driven up people up a wall for a few years to hear about the uh, the veteran impact of of leadership in the locker room, uh, and, and I think part of that is because for a lot of those players, it it, it was not real a no, really a noticeable positive impact, if a positive impact at all, on the ice. Uh, so so while they heard about it in the locker room, it was like okay, well surely there has to be someone who can have that kind of impact while also maybe scoring a goal every once in a while. Uh, and that's Bobby Ryan. And so now that that guy's here, uh, I think the Red Wings should, should not be in any rush to, 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 to trade him or anything. I agree. With you. I don't think they're going to get a first round pick for, for several reasons. Um, one is how short of a timeline between the trade deadline and the playoffs. Is here. It's like three weeks. And if it's not to a team in the division that they're like, just making a little handoff when they play them, uh, that is not going to fetch you a first round pick. It might not even fetch you a second round pick. Now, I think if Bobby Ryan's having that kind of year uh, that you just talked about, where it's like twenty goals or something like that, like that's a that's a big time year. Uh, maybe you can talk about a second round pick there for the right team. You know, maybe, maybe you're going to make a little handoff with Carolina. You're going to play a two game series with them, and you're going to say, "Why don't you, you know, give us a, a, a second round pick or whatever?" And and Bobby said he wants to go chase a championship, and 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 here you go. Here, here's your chance to do it. Um, that's that, but I think, I think if you're doing it, you're doing it because Bobby Ryan said, I'd really like to go get a ring if you don't mind. Um, and then I, if, if, if you do that, I'm honestly calling him again, the second free agency opens up just like Steve Eiserman did this past year, because I think you are seeing it and, and you're seeing this impact, the, the positivity, the steadiness, the knowledge. This is not just a guy who's been around. He was a really high pick. He's got really good skill. He's very smart. He can add a lot. So, uh, yeah, I think Bobby Ryan's the best story of the season so far. Um, maybe in the whole NHL, honestly, uh, for, for what he's done so far. And obviously, uh, I haven't gotten to see every story in the NHL so far, but I think he's a pretty good one. Jack Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes rebound probably, probably up there too. Um, he's off to an unbelievable start, but I think there's a lot of reason to, to be excited about what Bobby Ryan's doing. And, uh, you know, selfishly for my purposes, I think, give him a lifetime contract because I'm, I'm ready to talk to Bobby Ryan once a week uh, as long as I'm in, in this job. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And and I can't, you know, draw the parallels enough to to Brett Hull and, and Datsuk. I mean, there's a great article. I think it's from, you know, probably a decade ago, if I remember correctly. It was by Larry Wig, who is basically talking about how it was an interview with Datsuk explaining how much Brett Hull in his rookie and kind of second season helped push him to the next level. And Bobby Ryan is certainly not Brett Hull. 
But he was an elite player. He was the second overall pick behind Sidney Crosby in 2005. So like, this is a guy who was an elite player for a long time. Um, certainly not at that level anymore, but I, he has a lot to offer Detroit's young players and continue to play him around Philip Zadina, continue to play him with Michael Rasmussen. And I think you're going to see those guys learn a heck of a lot uh, from him. And so I would be jumping at the opportunity. And, you know, Max, to your point, you know, people have kind of always groaned about the veteran uh, additions, myself very much included. This is a different veteran addition. This is a veteran addition that is going to add on the score sheet in addition to the locker room. And so now you don't have to worry about chewing up ice time for a guy who wasn't really contributing on the scoreboard. He's doing it. He's the NHL goals leader. So, you know, it's 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 going to be fun to watch and see, but I, I'm certainly enjoying the Bobby Ryan experience right now. Yeah, absolutely. Really quick, uh, before we sign off, let's preview the Chicago series a little bit. We, we talked about it a minute ago. This is a series that they should be able to have a little bit of success in. Certainly, it, it'll be a good test for uh, for their scoring ability because if, if you're not scoring against Chicago this season, you're not scoring against anybody. Um, they've given up five goals per game. The goaltending we talked about before the season, all the question marks they have there. Um, obviously, that is part and parcel with the, the defense too. And frankly, with the centers, they they just their top two centers, Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves, not in the lineup. Uh, what are you looking for to see out of the Red Wings in the Chicago series? And what are you expecting? I'm honestly hoping to see the same gap we saw between Carolina and Detroit, but seeing it between <laughs> Detroit and Chicago. Uh, because my God, this Blackhawks team is bad. They are Detroit 1920 level bad. Um, I don't know if anyone's watched them yet. Uh, for those that have, I'm sorry. That is a very bad hockey team. And so Detroit, if you're feeling good after these two series against Carolina coming away one and one and, and Columbus coming again, uh, coming away one and one, you know, two playoff teams from last year, your expectation should be to go in, number one, find a way to generate some offense, okay? So offensively, we've talked about this team. They have generated more than one and a quarter expected goals in just one game this season. And that was the game that they lost to Columbus, the, the, the third game there. So you need to find a way to get your five-on-five offense going. And then the second thing you're looking to see is can you get your power play going? Right now, the Red Wings power play has been atrocious. They're averaging 0.8 shots on goal per power play. That is awful. You are not going to win when you're not even getting a shot on goal on your power play. So those are the two things that really need to get going there. But the talent gap should be evident. Um, And you should find a way to exploit that offensively. And if Detroit's not walking away from this series with at least seven goals scored, I think you're, you're looking at You've got to be disappointed in the outcome. Never thought I would hear uh, that sentence that Detroit's supposed to have uh, <laughs> this, this visible <laughs> a talent gap this season. Um, I will I will disagree on one front, and that is that I think uh, Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett are still going to pose a threat that Detroit has not yet seen this year from anyone. Andrei Svechnikov would come the closest in Sebastian Ajo, but um, wh- you know a couple of the goals that the Red Wings have been scored on so far this season have been just by unbelievable shots, absolute snipes. And these are two guys who are going to do it to you, particularly to bring it. It's going to happen lightning quick. And, you know, he's the kind of player that can score even with a defense that um, manages to keep you to the outside because he can score from pretty much anywhere in the ozone. Patrick Kane just finds a way to make things happen. 
So I will say that is something new the Red Wings are going to be looking at. But I will also agree with you on, on a lot of the other fronts that if you can't find a way to get your power play going against this team, it's a big problem. And to me, the Red Wings problem so far on the power play has been their entries. Um, you know, they obviously had the one play the other night that uh, they win the face off and it turns into a turnover the other way, but they recovered quick enough that they could have still got set up uh, and made something happen there. It, it, it's just that they took so long once that happened to, to get back into the zone with possession. I mean, they can get over the line sometimes, but sometimes it'll require dumping it in or, or it's a little chip that, you know, takes a while to get everyone back in place. That to me is the reason that the, that the power play is not getting shots off when they're in formation. We pretty much saw for the first time all season last night and they scored off of it. They can get a good rotation going up there. I, I know you will love what they've done with Philip Heronik playing him on both power play units. That's just what this you've been calling for this with Mantha for a while. They're going to do it with Heronik play him up top for one unit, play him on the flank for the other. That can work as long as you are not going 200 feet to, to go pick the puck back up three times every power play. Uh, if you are, he will get exhausted and that's a problem. But uh, if your power play is going well, he can play every second of the power play for the Red Wings this season or, or close to it um, and, and make that work. And, and he's good enough, I think, to do it. So I also think this is a big kind of moment of truth for the power play, a, a get right series, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and get everything going well. But, you know, Chicago is also going to be looking at this. Like, if they can't take a game against Detroit, who are they going to beat this year? I think you're going to see a fired-up team. I think Patrick Kane's not going to want to uh, start this season 0-6. I think it's going to be a split. And I think, ultimately, uh, if the Red Wings come out of it 3-3, three and three, um, I don't think they should be happy losing to Chicago at any time. There are no moral victories against Chicago this year. There are only real victories and, and real losses uh, but if they manage to start this season three and three, that'll be ahead of where I thought they'd be. And so, uh, you know, I think that's, that's fair to look at that both ways. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think so. And if they're three and three, then they'll be right on pace with the 2019, 2020 Red Wings. So who are three and three <laughs> after six games, right? So, you know, that'll be, that'll be the fun part is we still won't know a whole lot about the team as it compares to last year, but we can safely say as long as they're continuing to remain competitive, that was the goal this year. Um, even though we do expect them to come up on the losing side more often than not. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to see this series. I think this is going to be, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I'm sure there'll be some people making kind of morbid comments about that. Like, oh, come watch the, you know, two of the three or four worst teams in the league. But I, I actually think for both teams, it's a, it's a good chance to kind of get, get right. And, and certainly for the Red Wings um, to try and put some separation. I mean, if, if they do come in and, and they manage to win both games and they start four and two, you know, it, it's not going to, I don't think, change anyone's outlook of them too much, but it would at least do, I think what you alluded to, which is kind of establish, you know, they're not the, the central division, uh, you know, they're not, they're not the, uh, they're not the, the punching bag for the rest right. of the division. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting. We'll see indeed. Anything else you want to talk about uh, before we sign off? No, I think, uh, you know, I think that's about everything for this go around. All right. That sounds good. That's about it for me, too. We'll be back at you guys after this series. Uh, so look for that Monday morning and uh, we'll talk to you then.